You're listening to Songs in a Strange Land, foraging in the landscape of faith, culture and creativity. Well, um, welcome. Welcome back. Um, this time we've got a title for this podcast, we have. Songs in a Strange Land, which uh, took longer than I expected. I thought it would just come naturally. Yeah. <laughs> It turns out if you let us deliberate on things and, and try and make a decision, that's probably not healthy. Yeah, we, we, we went around all sorts of different words and, uh, yeah, we're both very like, we're very much uh, fond of, of words and so we, we uh, just played around and went, oh, that's a nice word, we should definitely use that word. <laughs> so, and one of those is foraging, which is in the tagline because we loved it so much. Yes. Although it does sound slightly dirty. It does, and yeah. I believe you quite enjoyed that. At least we didn't keep undergrowth in yes, there as undergrowth well. Yes, undergrowth went too far into that. Definitely. Um, but uh, for those of you who, who may not recognise the phrase, songs in a strange land, it comes from one of the Psalms in the Old Testament, Psalm 137, um, which once we've read the first line of the Psalm, you'll probably think of Boney M and have that song in your head. Um, and a strange Jamaican accent. Yeah. Think of that going on in my head. That's our gift to you for yes. the rest of the day. Yeah. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to what's inside my head right at the moment. So, do you want to do you want to read that first bit? Yeah. Well, I think that yeah, it's probably worth saying. So we came across this phrase actually when digging through some of the stuff that various Christian communities and this one was the Northumbria community oh, yeah. had come across, and that that line just really stood out I guess because we were wanting to think about creativity and faith and culture and how those three things relate and feed off each other and that fairly quickly led us to that point of the big conversation which has been going on about exile and about the church's place in the world and in western culture at the moment and what we do with that and that also very much fed into actually creativity has really got something to speak into yeah. that situation. We, we got into that phrase of kind of edge lands between places, that kind of borderland where it's kind of edge space, um, which is kind of that exiles image that comes through. Um, and we've been talking a bit about uh, new monasticism, which is a big, big topic, but there's these 12 marks of, of new monasticism, which kind of helps to frame it. And the first one is this sense in which the church is relocating to the edge of society, to those uh, margin areas. And that's also a place where you find real rich creativity, where the artist naturally fits in, not really in the centre, not unless you're Simon Cowell's kind of protégés. Um, if you're a proper singer-songwriter, you'll, you'll find yourself on the edge expressing those sorts of sorts of images so which which are really rich in that in that landscape um, so yeah yeah the the other image which really stuck out for me when we were thinking about this as well was um i can't remember where it's from but there's a an old kind of english poem or middle english poem which talks about an exile kind of sat on the shores kind of churning the waters and that there's something about uh, it's that kind of longing for home and that desire to connect but because you can't connect with home you kind of create and you you're you want your hands to be busy partly to feel productive partly to take your mind off your situation but actually that that driving into practical process and the process of creating stuff 
feels quite important as well as as just the fact that creativity is happening or you get an end product as part of creativity so that that was the other thing um and yeah and all of that of course when you then pick up the the psalm um, which i'll read in a moment actually it, it all starts to feed into some of this stuff which was really nice so we thought yeah that's that that's our title so this is psalm 137 are we is this the in or NRSV version. Um, So I'll I'll read that through. Um, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they have said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. It always ends on a downer, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I can't remember who said it. I think it might have been been your dad in one one of his sermons said, the Psalms, essentially... Blessed be the Lord, happy, happy, and kill all my enemies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's most of the Psalms. Um, yeah, it is true. Actually, it's it's really interesting. So yes, there is with this song, there is no hiding the fact that it probably ends on one of the stickiest, harshest, trickiest moments in the Psalms um, of, of killing children and suggesting you should be that in this situation that would be a happy thing yeah. to do. Um, and I'm sh- we'll maybe pick up on that a bit yeah. later. But um, but what the the kind of that songs in a strange land or in this version foreign lands. Um, I mean it's really interesting when you look through all the translations of that that phrase. It's just in the King James version which says songs in a strange land. And I kind of preferred that to the foreign land because the foreign land brings too much of that Babylonian sort of it's owned by someone else where strange land is it's the ownership is a bit questionable it's as to who owns this place that we find ourselves um, which I, I prefer well particularly with our, our current culture of who actually who's actually at home in this place because um, it seems like you go to the artists and they all feel a bit dislocated with culture and you know, no one quite knows what's going on and, and you know, you've got the emerging culture, emergent cultural emergence, whatever, and that sort of culture emerging. And everyone feels a bit lost in it. Um, and so it's that really interesting thing of who's, who's owning this place. And I'm sure the exiles, the Israelites, when they write this psalm, you know, obviously know about their oppression, know about their captors, and certainly when they get to damning them and dashing their children against the stone, they know who they are. But but I wonder also, 
what that stands with in terms of God owning everything. God is the creator of the world. God, you know, has all the cattle and all the cattle are his. And you know, what can we give to you, O Lord? It's, and all these other psalmist um, phrases. How does that marry? You know, you're in this place where clearly God is not worshipped and God is not at home. And you know, they're obviously used to the temple and that theology. But what do you do when God is distant? God seems to have gone um, in that exile place. It's it's interesting question. Mm-hmm. You talked a bit about home. How how rich do you think that image of home is in our culture? That desire to return home because everyone homecoming is a big story which comes up. But I wonder how prevalent it is at this time. Yeah, I think home still does have a really powerful pull on people and I think that might not be home in the traditional sense but we spend spend so much time I guess with kind of student and university culture of living with kind of one foot at home one foot out and I guess we get quite used to being dissociated with it but at the same time we don't quite leave it I don't know if there is a Mm. don't know how much there is kind of leaving home rituals or or kind of moments Mm. as as prominently I guess particularly as kind of relationships become more fluid as well there's not quite that same sense of leaving I think I think the, the, the church is in a place where it it kind of doesn't feel at home anymore it doesn't feel at home in this country there's that um the phrase again sorry first quote of stanley harris the resident alien that sort of we're in the world not of the world that's become really prevalent in mission language mm. and that thing of don't make your home here because i i think before before that proclamation comes in don't make your home here actually there's been a sense of we're not at home here yeah um and I wonder how much that's just for the church, um, and I'm just very conscious of that, or whether or not there is a sense in... I'm just trying to think of r- motifs, and we were talking about musicians or songs or, or, or cultural references where exiles is an image. Um, and I think that, that, that imagery of coming home, exile, has been certainly thinking of the latest Mumford & Sons album, that's one of the things that I really like about it is it's this exploration of what is home um, and is it I always want to call them radical force it might be radical face but they've got the, the song called home um, welcome home mm. and yeah it's really interesting that there's been that move towards a very folksy kind of approach to stuff and, and a little bit of kind of Americana in there and I wonder if there is something actually that speaks very much of kind of home and that nostalgia is so prevalent at the moment. There's, uh, on some levels, nostalgia is always prevalent, but we don't seem to have anything to say as a generation really at the moment. We have uh, the occasional kind of Hollywood believe in yourself or, you know, be the best you can and... You'll, you'll achieve your dreams type territory. 
But frozen. You're talking about frozen. Yeah, basically, <laughs> basically frozen is, is the, the mark of our generation. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, so much of it is looking back. I guess, I guess it's that postmodern thing of being so nervous about proclaiming values and labels and things which we, we stand for and being so self-conscious of that. Actually, we don't know. We're too nervous to pick anything up. So look to the past and mm. sort of pick up aesthetics instead, whether it's a kind of 1950s kind of make-do-and-mend aesthetic, whether it's a kind of 20s, 30s artistic aesthetic. We, we were very good at borrowing, but it doesn't... Yeah, I think it's also interesting that, that... But there's that tension, because I, I really see that. That's, you know, we've got, you know, increase in vintage clothing shops and you know, uh, yeah, make do amend and the craft movement coming back and um, all of that. But at the same time, kind of back that psalm of not wanting to and actually refusing that kind of individualised, no, uh, I am myself, I am creating myself, all that individualism that comes through, um, that we're borrowing but yet we don't want to borrow and we don't, we want to find the new new, we want to find what's emerging, but we're too scared to to name it. Mm. And, you know, we, we were talking about that psalm about not wanting to sing the songs of Zion, or the songs you used to sing in Zion, because it doesn't feel right to do it here in this new place. But equally, they don't want to pick up the harps and yeah. start writing again. Yeah. Um, that's, so we're kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah, that's the big irony with this, isn't it? That we decided we wanted to talk about creativity, and again, we choose a psalm which is is saying, "Let our tongues stick to the roof of our mouths." Yeah. Um, we it's not right for us to pick up harps. It's about the fact that these songs aren't appropriate in this new situation. The the old stuff isn't right for now. The songs of praise, the the psalms of ascent. Even David's songs of being saved from his enemies don't feel right in this space mm. anymore. But that actually reminds me, there's... Ooh, I think it might be Ezekiel, but I don't know. There's, that, there's one of the prophets which tells the Israelites, sow seeds, plant stuff, and establish yourself in this new land. Yeah. You're going to be there for a while. Yeah. And I wonder if we're partly in that tension of... We don't want to commit to ideas. We're looking back to borrow stuff because we don't want to commit to new ideas now, which settles us in that strange mm. land. But whether actually the advice is no, settle, in the settle plant seeds, yeah. start to grow things here yeah. because you're going to be here a while. I mean, that whole image of exiles, um, you, know, you think of something particularly like Hosea. Uh, which is picked up in Revelation as well, but Hosea talks about being sent back into the desert where um, where Israel first fell in love with God, and um, and obviously the Hosea image of of Hosea and his um, prostitute wife, and their kind of disagreements and her unfaithfulness, and um, and God calling Israel, saying, you know, I sent you after the Exodus, we went and we lived in the desert for a long time together and we built our relationship there I then gave you this land and you've just abused it completely and it's been your home I've called it home and we built a temple and all that sort of stuff um, 
and that the exile is about destroying that and leaving that um, and that calling to to go back into the desert because that's actually where the relationship was really good where we're, where Israel and therefore we in the same image that's where we need God that's where we call upon him where he's more prevalent whereas if you're at home and you're settled and everything you kind of quickly forget and you just get into the rhythm of it because you know there's no need and one of the things just as you were speaking is that there's a Brueggemann quote uh, Walter Brueggemann the theologian who really does some great studies on the Psalms I'd really recommend reading any of his books on the Psalms and um, he's got this quote uh, much Christian piety and spirituality is romantic and unreal in its positiveness. As children of the Enlightenment, we have censored and selected around the voice of darkness and disorientation, seeking instead to go from strength to strength, from victory to victory. But such a way not only ignores the Psalms, it's a lie in terms of our experience. Um, and I think that's what we're talking about, that nostalgia or... Um, that sense of the positive songs that were, you know, back in the, I don't know when it when it really began. Everyone starts a different time, but you know, the, certainly the 50s and the 60s um, in Britain, that sort of positive energy and that sort of, you know, real strength. And particularly with Christian songs, you get great, you know, proclamation of the, the empire and all that sort of stuff. And very soon after, it all starts to crumble, and all of them that. Hope of land and glory, <laughs> land of mm. hope and glory, kind of doesn't sit well with us anymore. We we get very uncomfortable about that, and and even the songs of you know God's going to always be there, and God's you know God's got it. My I'm all right. Smiles and happy clappy just isn't reality um, to most of us. Um, actually, there's been an increase in the exploration of doubt and disorientation and disillusionment and all those sorts of images which we don't quite know where to find our language. And then we read something like Psalm 137 and other psalms as well, um, where all of a sudden we find them really expressed, those laments, the prophets all of a sudden become really key texts for us in the wisdom literature, particularly Ecclesiastes. Um, I remember, I think it was Rob Bell or Pete Rollins, some, one of them, saying that um, the, the, the Ecclesiastes and 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, this sort of um, not really knowing the answers but exploring nonetheless sort of images will become more and more resonant mm-hmm. for for our generation. Yeah. I think on the from the, the Brueggemann those that that thing about the kind of victory and strength actually not reflecting the Psalms. It I wonder if there's a parallel. You get those moments in worship where People do almost seem to be trying to reclaim a lost land, or, or kind of, kind of. This might be a bit mean, but worshiping yourselves back into a Christian bubble, kind of using worship as a retreat into a world where it's all sorted, where sort of the world of David, where Israel is powerful and, and where the, the church is powerful and, and meaningful. And I wonder how much we're being pushed out of that but there's then that there's that desire to go back i just think of some of the obviously the kind of methodist hymns which are amazing there's fantastic stuff there but are you singing those kind of charles wesley's because they i've probably got the wrong wesley there haven't i um <laughs> no charles wesley. no it was charles yeah. Wesley. yeah um because you're 
because you're wanting to reclaim a time when kind of evangelical crusading was successful and really speaking to people and actually now isn't that time yeah i the the hymn that came to my mind or the worship song was these are the days of elijah and thinking yeah i i, I don't like the song first of all because it can't be all of those days because they were different chronology but um and also it, it's just a bad song um, sorry if the, the songwriter you know is what, listening. Do you know what the irony is? I led that as worship last Did you? Sunday evening. I don't like it but, at all. But anyway, but the the thing is, out uh, um, when I was at college, a friend and I tried to rewrite it to see how many other days we could find. These are the days of Noah, <laughs> us all retreating to the ark yeah. or whatever. Um, and thinking, actually, in that, there's all those positive. You know, these are the days. It's all going to be fine, and, and Elijah. And I was thinking, oh, you know, we don't have these are the days of Ezekiel. And actually, that is a line. Um, and the one bit that they've picked up from the Ezekiel, just brought it up, is the dry bones becoming as flesh. I was thinking, yeah, but there's a whole load of stuff before that about him mm. lying on his side for decades yeah. and then turning over. Well, yeah, the, the, actually, to say the truth, the reason I chose that, and it isn't one that I would usually use in worship, but the, the evening service was on Isaiah 40, the kind of comfort my people stuff, mm. make straight paths. And actually the the end of the first verse with that one is the kind of, mm. we are a voice in the desert crying, declare you the way of the Lord. Yeah. And so because that was on that turn to restoration. So yeah. there is that, that one line maybe for me redeems the, that the me, it means that song is useful now because yeah. actually that reminder that we're in the desert and we, there's still for all the miserableness for all the exile yeah. you there is hope there's there has to be hope and yeah. there has to be pointing to God somewhere even if the way you do that has changed yeah. otherwise you are just moaning yeah you're, and I think that's I think that's the tension we find ourselves in I mean we've we've talked about that both borrowing but yet not wanting to you know, going back but yet not wanting to and being stuck in, again, that between place of do we press on and go to a new place or actually are we just out here f- in this kind of desert land for a bit and we're going to return home soon? Is that the aim? What's Where is God leading us? Um, and I think also, you know, we talk about, you know, ministry being, you know, really tough but it's worth it because of the, the moments of, of joy we do find it we, we love to be depressed we love to be despairing we love to to name reality as all this tough times but we're also or maybe i'm just talking about myself now i find it quite difficult to name the reality of the celebration and the thanksgiving mm. and knowing actually we've got to have hope we've got to have hope which is real which is based in not just blind optimism but is actually rooted in the darkness, actually going into the darkness, carrying light, rather than going into the darkness and hoping that the light will be extinguished because actually the darkness is really comfy and mm-hmm. cosy. Um, and, and, you know, lots of my... Certainly when I've been writing about kind of slavery and liberation and freedom, which is also a, a motif that's coming out a lot, it is, you know, what are we being liberated to? And it's that liberation is that wide open space, that, that kind of sense of someone, um, a preacher once described salvation as wide open space. Um, and actually that's quite scary when you've been stuck indoors. Mm. Actually, where do you go to? And 
and the desert is a wide open space, but you wouldn't want to go there. Um, it's it's that sort of comfort of chains, comfort of imprisonment. Um, everyone calls sin as a cage, but it's a cage that you don't want to leave because it's it's got cushions, whereas outside is is barren or whatever. Um, so we've got that real tension going on in our culture and in creativity yeah. of how positive do we want to be because when we're too positive it's all too nice and clean but then we mock bands like Travis and Coldplay for being far too and Radiohead being far too depressing you know where's the joy in that and it's that really weird tension that we find ourselves in actually what's yeah what's really interesting I (laughs) I wasn't wasn't expecting to reference this at all but the band that possibly do it best or do the extremes best is maybe The Cure See, I've had Disintegration back on it. I mean, it, it's a CD that's regularly in my rotation. And that's that CD gets melancholy mm. kind of so well. And it's there's, there is something really satisfying and, and beneficial about kind of music or art that, that kind of sits with you and it kind of massages the pain. It, it kind of it puts the pain into a controllable thing. It puts the kind of mm. the depression or the, the, the struggle or whatever that is into a place where you can contain it and you can connect over that. But ultimately, Disintegration is... It, I love it as an album, but it ends up sitting, you know. It, mm. It's just about sitting in that dark room with yeah. you. And it and it's there's like one of the lines in the last track which always sticks me because it's it's wonderfully expressive but m- amazingly depressing is the kind of hopelessly fighting the delge of futility. It's like you there's well. the kind of hopeless <laughs> delge futility that that's the parameters which we're working in. Yeah. Um, but then the next Cure album is Wish, which has it's Friday I'm in Love on, mm. which is you know your kind of quintessential goth pop hit that will you will still get played in kind of clubs occasionally if you go to the right kind of retro night and they and somehow the Robert Smith manages to encapsulate both depression and kind of celebrating the moment mm. in a wonderful way and sometimes holds those intention mm. sometimes just just lets it happen and it's yeah, that's quite a rare thing, actually. I... Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking also about the Sarah Kane problem. Um, Sarah Kane being a playwright who was very popular, certainly late nineties, early two thousands, and it there was a period of about five years where every theatre program, every every venue in their in their season had a Sarah Kane play going on, and and I I never quite got Sarah Kane, but she was you know. This absolutely wonderful playwright, um, made famous, I think, and might be a bit harsh, but solely because she committed suicide and one of her plays is her suicide note. Um, but most of her plays are just depressing about how pointless and worthless life is, and there is no let up from it. And and I'm okay with engaging with that. I'm naturally quite a depressive person, and you know, most of my musical taste is, you know, probably. Either uh, the Cure or or Travis or Coldplay or whoever you know those those sorts of really down ones that want to articulate deep deep stuff Radiohead as well, um, but but you get to the end of a Sarah Kane p- 
play and you're you're just stuck there. You're stuck there going, well, what's the point? And I just don't think that's a healthy place to leave a theatre. You kind of want to be changed, but changed for the good. You surely want to find some sort of resolution or, or you know, resurrection, or whatever you want to call it. And I'm not talking just Disney and how they've abused Mary Poppins and all that sort of stuff, but but there needs to be something. There needs to be some sort of hope in it. Um, and I'm I'm glad to say that I've not seen Sarah Kane advertised much anymore. I'm thinking we're probably going through it. Um, but that was a real fresh voice of saying, actually, we can name how awful stuff is, and we don't have to be Disney, Frozen sort of mentality. But I think we are processing that as a culture and as a society and working out how to find resolution in that. And there are there are those musicians who who really do encapsulate that. And I'm thinking also about um, Sugar Man, um, Rodriguez, that documentary that came out. I remember watching it um, and I happened to be watching it with a friend who loves this sort of imagery anyway. So we, we really relished it. But watching Finding Sugar Man as a documentary and just going, most of his songs are very depressing, but the story is so uplifting. And, and actually there's, throughout his music, his lyrics are saying one thing, and the music, however, is major key, resolved, nothing's kind of, there's no dissonance in it. It's just, you know, it knows what it is and it encapsulates it and it leads you on to new stuff mm. and, and and once you know the story of the songwriter actually that also helps that sort of there's redemption in it yeah. there's a sort of you know there's this nobody and he was absolutely fine and his attitude to money is just so in vogue and all that sort of stuff mm. but then he he also gets this second life as it were and and they find him and yet he he remains unchanged as a person you know the fame and the the money doesn't change him in any way. He just continues to, to work a, 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 not a dead-end job, but he just works a, a kind of manual job whilst then going over to an American songwriter, working a manual job, and he goes over to South Africa and does these big stadium tours. And once they're finished, he goes back to his family and continues to work. Um, and it's that wonderful image that, that kind of sums up the, the age, or at least what what I feel is coming of age at the moment. Um, I'll admit, Searching for Sugar Man is still on my to-watch list. But yeah, I, I agree, actually. Knowing the knowing the wider context of the song is surprisingly helpful. You kind of, mm. yeah, you wrap stuff up. And actually, I guess that's true to take us back to Psalm 137. Mm. Um, that does leave you in a, a place of despair. You know, it's kind of saying we can't forget the past, but we're stuck here. And it doesn't get any further. Mm. And so I guess partly for us, we know the wider context of that psalm. We know the bigger story. We can we can read that psalm post-exile. Mm. Um, I think also there's, a, there's something about anthology or, you know, you're talking about The Cure and the, the two albums. And actually, if you listen to one on its own... It's there it is, that's where it stops um, and that psalm is an expression of a moment is an expression which we've all felt we've all been in those places and and I think one of the things that Walter Brueggemann says about particularly these psalms of vengeance is 
it's actually a glorious thing that God allows us to say such things, that we can say, you know, kill all our enemies, just slaughter them, break their teeth and make them go into the slime and all that sort of stuff. That doesn't mean that God's actually going to do it, but we all, but nonetheless we feel it. We mm. want that to happen and God won't do it. He won't, he's not at our beck and call, but he allows us to say it because he knows it's healthy. And in terms of that creative energy, it's okay to say those things. It's all right to voice it. And actually, it's healthy sometimes to process that and to, to try and put into words that stuff, because otherwise it just eats away inside. To get it out, to share it, but to share it in a wider context and to allow other voices to balance and to counterpoint. Mm. Um, because I think if it gets out way too much to one, where you just are all about the depression... You know, it's kind of, that's just not healthy and it's not reality either yes we all feel it at points but we also need to be reminded of those hopeful moments we also need to be reminded of those moments of sheer brilliance of life that makes it worthwhile and which actually the bright moments are easily forgotten and it's much easier to remember all those things that have gone wrong and so in the Psalms you've got, you've got these sorts of Psalms alongside ones which go and yet and yet the Lord is faithful and wonderful and mm-hmm. steadfast and his love endures forever. Um, I remember reading all of the Psalms in one evening and it's amazing at how quickly the Psalms turn around. So you, you go through maybe two Psalms of lament and depression and vengeance and anger and then the next moment it's this soft sort of gentle voice of but God is faithful and he, his love endures forever and we are, you know, we have experienced his mercy and actually that which we've called vengeance on because, you know, so-and-so has done awful things to us. Actually, we too are guilty and don't, don't, don't do that to us. Don't break our teeth and make us go to the pit, you know. Mm. Um, so I think it's that anthological, is that a word? Um, it is now. Um, where we, we, we have to put it in context and the creative voice can express that. But actually, we also need to counterpoint it with the and yet, yeah. and the buts, you know. Yeah, and I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because we're not very good in churches and in church services at expressing this stuff. And we're not very good at being brave enough to hold kind of in a moment the the kind of the, the rubbishness, the anger, the, the kind of the extremes of that. As a congregation, someone stood up and said, we're now going to read together Psalm 137. It'd be very interesting to see how quickly people just started mumbling their way through because they're not quite sure. And maybe that's right. Maybe it's hard to... You don't want to take on that emotion for yourself. But actually, it's a, a wonderful thing that in the larger anthology, the larger canon of scripture of this writing, that you can that you can express that. That, that someone has expressed those extremes and it still falls within God. It's mm. still, God is still bigger than those extremes of despair mm. and joy and anger. Yeah, yeah I remember Walter Brueggemann talking about, uh, I think it was Psalm 51, I can't remember it exactly, but it's the, the psalm where it says, you know, will you break their teeth inside their mouths, sort of, sort of psalm of vengeance. And, um, and it's on a YouTube clip and he's doing this lecture and he's talking it through and he goes... And all you nice Christians will finish this one. And thanks be to God, you know, it's that, that sort of we, we quickly rush over the, those expressions of, of difficulty 
and we we sift through the prophets and find those you know, wonderful passages of you know comfort like people and and dry bones and all that sort of stuff. Um, but we yeah as going back to that Walter Brueggemann quote about piety and romanticism we've censored we kind of skip over the prophets and go yeah we've got this all the oh all the depressing bits but but he says you know the Lord is faithful and, and actually God is in is in the darkest valley as well as in the highest peaks mm-hmm. and and we need to have confidence yes we need to remember he's faithful but not just faithful up here so let's all be happy but actually we're down here it's all depressing and how well can we say hand on heart the Lord is faithful mm-hmm. um, and that's the challenge yeah. so how could we use some of this stuff whether it's coming from secular artists from Christian artists how might we begin to use that in church in a useful way in our either in our worship or in our communities or well for once I think I'm going to agree with Pete Rollins really because uh, he talks about bringing those moments of the singer-songwriter and, and I would agree with him it's particularly with guitarists I don't know what it is but bringing those moments in and not calling people to necessarily out loud name it although if they want to then they, they should be able to but to have those moments in you know in a club or creating in the church that moment where a singer-songwriter gets up and does um, an, a, an Artodian which is a theatre practitioner, Arto, talks about, you know, the artist being a sacrifice, you know, being vulnerable, being stripped and being all those sorts of things to encapsulate the, the nakedness of the, the audience. Um, to have a singer-songwriter up there, giving them space and just to sit and to listen and to be in that place because that, that, that music holds that space really well. To be able to encourage those singer-songwriters to do that um, and to enjoy it and um, to have poetry uh, read which expresses life um, and I think as Christians not to jump up and go oh, thanks be to God but, but to allow that space to be held just in the silence and to allow people to experience it for a moment um, and to find those counterpoints as well mm-hmm. but to do it really honestly and again in a trusting safe environment yeah yeah, I think um, I think the, the trusting whoever's leading it that then that they're not gonna turn back round and, and use this against you or mm. I mean it does essentially any vulnerability comes round down to being scared that someone's gonna turn round and mock or abuse that vulnerability, including if you're as an audience being invited into that vulnerability. You know the 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 fear is that at the end the the artist jumps up and goes got you you know i've kind of made you cry i've manipulated you Mm. and the littles what you were then feeling which felt real so having that trust and safety in a leader which i guess is absolutely where some of the broken leadership stuff which Mm. is a whole other conversation but absolutely links in with the exiles and where the church is people leading from a, a place of brokenness so you you definitely need that to as a as a, a framework and a, a something to create space for this stuff and actually i wonder then if the other thing is silence or is instrumental moments in music which just let the kind of music play and words aren't enough 
but actually the space to process really really is helpful and we're so I guess if we create church which is so full of one moment to the other you know it's that that thing where you can't let people get bored or everything's got to be really slick and have kind of uh, keep you engaged that becomes a real problem if you're you're so in need of engagement that you never have space to process the difficult stuff so you can only live at kind of 100% 100% celebration level or you're feeling out of it. Yeah, those moments of silent waiting, that need of going, actually we don't really know where we're up to at the moment but that's okay. And to say there are disjoints, there are moments of disconnect and to sit and experience it and to together in somehow hold one another not really knowing where we're going uh, again talking about foreign lands or strange lands that sort of don't really know our way around this but we're kind of we're weeping together or we're sat together or we're experiencing this together it's a corporate activity of waiting rather than the individualized bit which i think is where modern culture particularly music comes falls down is they're great for expressing individual emotion, but they don't they don't lean on a community. They don't lean on that sort of sense of I'm feeling this right now, but everyone else is feeling this. But that's okay because we're held together. There's that kind of autonomousness of of singer songwriters, which they've got to do both, um, mm-hmm. rather than allowing allowing others to to do the balancing for them and. Yeah. trust in relationship actually we're back to retro 1950s chic again aren't we and actually the 40s and 50s were probably the last great moment that the the country felt unified in that kind of kind of world war ii and then after that mm. and then since then unity's only been able to be found in pockets you you know that the classic thing is a community is persecuted it it of makes them forge together and then and then it, it becomes stronger from that and mm. people feel particularly connected to it um, mm. and so actually there's been been lots of pockets of that but maybe not that moment yeah how that feeds through I wonder whether we, we've got too good at only ever mediating that through the individual mm. but never so that the community is always secondary to the individual voice within that. Mm. Yeah, and I guess the, these are the conversations that are bubbling up all over, um, and conversations continue on, and what I'm really excited about this podcast is that there's that opportunity just to sift through, take a step back, forage, um, and bring out, bring out kind of resonating voices or resonating collective voices and bringing all of those things together to say actually they are united they just don't know it or we just haven't seen it yeah Um, or there's a common thread yeah yeah there's that common commonality um so yeah i guess we'll finish there um if there are comments or questions that you have or you know an avenue that we we started to go down and didn't quite get to the end of and you'd like to hear more about um, then uh, then the details will be at the end 
of, of the podcast. But I think for now, uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, goodbye and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Songs in a Strange Land. Please send any comments or questions to songsinastrangeland at gmail.com. So, Ned, um, second podcast. Yeah. How, how do you think that went? I think it was a, a longer podcast. It, more, more substantial, maybe? Uh, not, no, there was no extra substance. Um, but yes, time-wise, it took longer. I mean, my real aim is I'm trying to weed out uh, all the time when I'm preaching or when I'm communicating. I'm trying to weed out those people who just want those snappy sound bites because they're shallow and, and, and they're not really worth it. What I want is I want to see commitment. I want to see commitment from people. So our podcasts, what I'm really hoping for is that essentially we waffle on if we can, for hours on end, for that little nugget at the end, for those really committed people, I want, if it, even if it's just one person, and that one person is me, I'm, I would want that person to stay. Yeah, I will admit to zoning out once or twice Good. while we're with so well done, Good. objective achieved. Um, I felt a, a real need as well to, to milk the silences, to give some nice long gaps for reflection between thoughts, between words. The fact that you milked me during those periods of time is was a bit yeah. inappropriate, but well, I, I was I really wanted to express the idea holistically to, to get the, the all-encompassing measure yeah. of milking. Yeah, good good to know that I lack tape knowledge as well as it's just yeah. spout it out of my mouth. It's well, there are more ways to express knowledge than just people, than just people words. miss out on the, the yeah. milk aspect. Yeah. Yeah. The, the kind of pillars of any expression, you know, kind of words, sounds, physical, and milk. <laughs> I mean, what, what I'm really hoping for is for those really committed, at the end, we'll give them, you know, maybe in the next podcast after the four hours that we're planning to do, at, right at the end, to give them a, a clip, uh, a, a website that they can go to for a video podcast of you milking me for knowledge. True, true. You know, I was thinking as well, if, if, if listeners really want, we can send them a bottle of milk. A bottle of milk, yeah. Enjoy at your yeah. leisure. Yeah, knowledge transmitted straight to you yeah. through milk. Do not listen to Paul, just keep on the milk.